Welcome, everyone. Thanks for being here this weekend. Hey, let me, uh, before I start, let me lean into one thing that Ryan mentioned, and that's that connect event right after the service. If you are not in a life group, if you're not connected uh, to a small group or a life group here, I was talking to God about you earlier, and he told me to tell you Jesus wants you to do that, okay? So, or something, something like that. But Really, really, really encourage you to do that. Grace will not make sense to you fully until you're in a life group. And so if you were in one and there was a transition in your group and you've been out for a while, or if you've never joined a life group, make that a massive priority. And this Connect event downstairs, if you go out the back doors and just hang a hard right, you can uh, go down the steps there. And uh, that connective event is in the uh, uh, community room and really encourage you to spend 10 minutes down there checking those things out, getting your feel for it and and trying to be a part of that, okay? So make that happen today and uh, take advantage of that uh, that event. All right, we're in a series uh, right now called Before and After. And in this series, what we've done is we're looking at folks who had one perspective of Jesus before his resurrection, <clears throat> then they interacted with the resurrected Jesus Christ, and it shifted. It shifted their worldview, their thoughts about God, their understanding, and folks that went from, some of them thought Jesus was crazy, some of them didn't believe him, some were like violently opposed. Then they interacted with the resurrected Jesus, and they gave the rest of their lives, and most of them actually gave their lives uh, for the truth that he did raise again from the dead and that he was indeed God. And so we've been having that conversation for a few weeks here. If you've missed it and want to catch up on it, go out to our website, graceohio.org, and you can watch it, listen to it, or get a podcast for free. If you get a podcast through iTunes, it just comes to you every week. And then this melodious voice will be with you wherever you go, right? If I wasn't doing this, I'd probably be an overnight DJ. I think me and Barry White would get along really, really well. Uh, but, but check that out and uh, fill in those blanks, and I think you'll be glad that you, uh, you did. So this weekend, we want to further this conversation. I want to talk to you about the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Peter. And so Peter's before and after story is different than the other ones that we've been talking about so far, because uh, the other folks did not believe Jesus in some form or another. They didn't, they didn't buy that he was God. Then they interacted with the resurrected Jesus, then they did. Peter's different in that he, he bit on that right away. Like he, he kind of immediately believed that Jesus was God and was following him. His after story then is a story of restoration. It's not a story of salvation. It's a story of restoration. And it's a fascinating story and one that I think many of us um, could relate to. And so we're going we're gonna to dig at that a little bit here this week. And let me kind of give you the backstory of Easter or of uh, Peter here. Backstory of Easter was a few weeks ago. You can hear that online. Um, But of Peter here, because uh, we have a lot of preconceived ideas about him. So some of us uh, who didn't grow up in church, which is actually a bunch of us here at Grace, uh, you probably know about the Apostle Peter from whatever we've talked about here at Grace. Uh, Those of us who grew up in a Protestant tradition, uh, we would know about the Apostle Peter uh, as the disciple Peter. So we would think of him as one of the 12, right? And actually one of the inner three, if you really grew up in church, and, and you would think of him that way. <clears throat> Those of us who grew up with a Catholic background, we would think of him as Saint Peter. We would think of him as the first pope and the founder of the church and all those kind of things. And so we, we have kind of these ideas about who Peter is. 
Let me just show you what the Bible has to say about him so we can kind of get a, a grip on it a little bit. And actually, we know quite a bit about Peter from, from the Bible. So for instance, we know that he was a fisherman, all right? But we also know that he wasn't like a guy that went fishing every day to feed his family. He actually, we would think of him today as a small business owner. So Peter was a, a small business owner. He had employees, the Bible tells us in Mark. He had partners, the Bible tells us in Luke. Uh, he could come and go, he could leave his business for a little bit and it would still run itself. And we know that from the book of John. He did very well for himself. And one of the, curiously, one of the things the Bible tells us about Peter is that he had a very big house. And so that was an indicator of wealth. So Peter was not this guy that kind of scraped by. Uh, he was a guy that owned a significant business, did well for himself, um, and, uh, and also worked kind of with his head and his back at the same time. So think of, the, think of the deadliest catch guys. That was Peter. Like he owned the boat and ran the boat, and, but also was out there kind of fishing it, right? Because of where he lived, we can assume certain things about Peter. So uh, fishing was a major industry in the ancient world, especially where Peter was from. So he most assuredly was multilingual. Uh, he would have had to have been in order to do business on the level that he did it. He was good with his money, right? He, he would have reinvested in his business and taken profit margins, all those kind of things. He was entrepreneurial, and he would have been multicultural. He would have had to have been in order to sell his fish and do the, the business that he did. We also think that Peter was probably a frustrated nationalist. So Peter was a guy, he was a devout Jew. He was, uh, we would think of him as Israeli today, and he would have looked and said, the Romans are occupying my country, right? So I'm not a Roman, I'm a Jew, or I'm an Israeli, it's the way we would think of it. And the Romans are occupying my country, so I want the government to leave me alone. I don't like taxes, I want my taxes cut, right? I, I, want, I want to be left alone. Isn't it funny how some things never change, never change. Thousands of years later, we all want the same things, okay? And so that was Peter. And especially as a business owner, that would have kind of driven him nuts a little bit. That also would have framed his view of a Messiah. So Peter, I believe that when he thought of a Messiah, he started in his journey with Jesus as a person who thought of the Messiah as someone who would liberate him nationally, somebody who would reestablish the power of Israel uh, take them back to the glory days when David and Solomon were in charge, the military was strong, throw off these shackles of like oppression from being an occupied people and throw off all the financial burden that, that came with that. So when he heard Messiah, that was at least a part of, if not the defining feature of what Peter would have seen. And at the very beginning, he would have leaned that way more than the Messiah is a personal savior, rescuing me from sin, setting me free from, from the law. And so that would have kind of been how Peter framed out a little bit. But what was unique to him from the other conversations we've been having is when Jesus showed up and said, Peter, come follow me, he did it. He was not a uh, later on conversion guy. He immediately believed 
genuinely loved, sincerely followed, authentically uh, uh, wanted to connect with Christ. And he bit on that very early in his journey. In fact, Matthew 4 tells us about that. Uh, it says this, Matthew 4, 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him, right? So Peter bit, and it, it, he didn't sit down his nets and say, honey, you feed the kids this afternoon. He had a business, he had employees, he had wealth, and he set that aside because he bit and he believed, I'm interacting with the Messiah. He might have had a murky view of what that was, but he was interacting with the Messiah and he followed. And we know from the scripture that he deeply loved, genuinely followed, sincerely wanted to interact and please God. And Peter was very committed to that as long as what God was doing made sense to him. And you see this struggle before he interacts with the resurrected Jesus. You'll see Peter, he's known for his zeal and his passion, and he, he probably had adult ADHD, right? Peter probably needed medicine, and so he, he just, that's kind of the Peter that we know. But you'd see him short circuit once in a while. And when Jesus would get outside of the paradigm that Peter thought he was supposed to fit in, it became very confusing and difficult for Peter, right? So one time there was a storm. Jesus walks on water, comes out to be with the disciples. Peter looks and, and, and he thinks, I want to be with Jesus. So he gets out of the boat. He starts to walk on water. And then he short circuits. He's like, oh, I'm walking on water. And he almost drowns, right? It, it'll, it'll like the breaker will blow in him sometimes. Uh, one time, Jesus was talking about how he was going to have to suffer and die. And Peter pulled him aside and said, hey, uh, that's not going to happen. You know, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to protect you, me and you. You know, we, we'll go down together. And Jesus rebuked him and said, get behind. What are you doing? You don't even understand what you're talking about. Because Jesus was in this paradigm and Peter was in this paradigm and those two things didn't always mesh well for him. Uh, <clears throat> Peter was the guy in the Garden of Gethsemane when the, when the temple guards came to arrest Jesus who pulled the sword and cut the guard's ear off, right? Peter was that guy that would have his concealed carry permit. You know, he's like, I'm going to defend you, you know, kind of thing. And, and, and Jesus is like, stop it. You know, that's not how he heals the guard. He's like, Peter, settle down, you know. And that, that was Peter. He had this mindset of how he thought this whole thing was going to play. And then he had trouble sometimes fitting that in to what Jesus was actually going to accomplish and, and what he was actually going to do. Now, all of that kind of up and down and around Peter stuff, it all culminates in Peter's denial. And, and in many ways, Peter is most famous for his failure. So he's talk, Jesus is talking to him, and he says to Jesus, he's like, listen, I'm never leaving you, never forsaking you, I'm never denying you. And Jesus is like, yes, you are, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, I'm not. Jesus is like, I'm Jesus, so I know what's going to happen, so that's what he's going to do. And look at it here. Flip over in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 26, and we see it <clears throat> play out here. Matthew 26, verse 69, it's page uh, 696 in those Bibles in your chairs if you need one of those. 
or if you're electronic, we use the Uversion app. So open that app up, hit live, or zip code 44333. Chapter 26, verse 69, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him, said, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl was with him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth and he denied it with an oath. He said, I I swear, I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And this was, this was Peter. This, he was in the inside, one of the top three on the inside circle. The Peter who Jesus looked and said, I've entrusted you with the keys of the kingdom on this truth that you just identified, Peter. I'm going to build my church, not on you, but on this truth. I'm going to build my church Peter, you're, you're the man, but you, you're going to blow it, and you're going to fail, and you are going to have a terrible time meshing these two things together. And here's Peter in failure. I mean, and not, not just like I dropped the F-bomb or I had a lustful thought kind of failure. Like Jesus is being crucified, and I deny knowing him. Like Peter is failure champ. Right? When Peter got to heaven, he got a trophy for biggest loser kind of thing. I mean, it's like of all the times the malfunction and all the people, the guy who promised he never would, failure champ is Peter, and he blew it. He absolutely blew it. In fact, I think if Peter was here and if he was talking to us this weekend, he, he, he wouldn't want us to think of him as Saint Peter. He would want us to think of him as sinner, Peter. I'm a failure. I'm in spiritual wipe. I'm the guy that blew it. And I am a sinner that's been saved by grace, and that's who I am. I, I never really got my act together. Okay? But I love Jesus. Okay? Now, this is, a, this is a big deal. His before and after is not one of conversion. It's one of restoration. Peter genuinely loved Christ. Peter sincerely and genuinely had received the forgiveness of his sin. Peter authentically wanted to please God, and he blew it on a royal... I mean, here we are 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. I mean, he blew it. And so his after story is one of restoration. When Jesus rose again from the dead, how did he interact with Peter and what did he do? And I think this is why we like Peter so much. I, I, I think we can relate, we sympathize with the Apostle Peter's humanity. Because when we, when we look at our relationship with God, we say, oh, that I, I, I would do that. I do do that. I like chicken out. Right? So there's, there's two ways that you have to look at the Apostle Peter. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet, when you look at the Apostle Peter, what you need to see is his immediate reaction to Jesus. Jesus shows up, says, come follow me. I'm the Messiah. Believe in me. And if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, that's the, that's the lesson you need to learn from the Apostle Peter. Like, 
buy it, bite on it. Jesus, believe in your heart, Jesus God, and God raised you from the dead and be saved, right? And that's what Peter did, in essence. If you're already a follower of Jesus, then your perspective of Peter needs to be one of restoration. When I fail, what does God do with me? When I, when I fail, how does God view me and, and how do I respond to him? Okay, so those two views are very predominant. The second view is what I want to spend the most time on this weekend. As a spiritual failure, what do I do when that happens? I want to show you something. Flip over your Bible to the right a little bit to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. We talked about this passage last weekend. So if you weren't here, uh, listen to it. If you were here, this is kind of part B of this conversation. Because I see, I see believers struggling with this. One, one of the things that I see the most often is I see genuine, sincere, legit followers of Jesus living as defeated people. People who are very aware of their failures and very aware of their sin and looking and saying, my sin and my failure is, going, is defining me. Because I know what God has called me to, and I know that I'm not measuring up. This is what happens. Look back at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10. The Apostle Paul, he says this. He says, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works so no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And so I, I, I notice that oftentimes in my life and in our lives, we will look at those verses and we'll, we'll buy them to a degree. So if we look at the first part, it says, it's by grace you're saved through faith. This is not by works. It's a gift of God. Sincere, legit followers of Jesus will accept that. I am saved by grace. It's not by works. It's not what I do for God. It's what God does for me. It's not my baptism that saves me. It's not my communion that saves me. It's not my church attendance that saves me. It's not me completing 101 that saves me. It is the grace of God. And I recognize that. And I called out to God. I said, God, forgive me for my sin. Change me. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe you rose me from the dead. And I want to follow you. And you might very well believe that and have received the grace of God. And you would look and say, yeah, I'm saved by grace. Straight up, legit, saved by grace. It's a gift. It's not by works. I know that God has given it to me. And because I am saved by grace, I really lock in the verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So I'm saved by grace, and now I got stuff to do. Right? I got stuff to do. God saved me for a reason. So I need to tell other people about who Christ is. I need to take every gift God has given me and administer grace in its various forms. Those are Peter's words. So if I have a talent, if I have money, if I have a giftedness, if I have time, I give all this over to the Lord so that I can do the work he's prepared in advance for me to do. Saved by grace, ready to work, and then I blow it. All amped up. Whatever they were talking about in church, I am amped up to do it. I I am ready to serve. I'm ready to go share my faith. I'm ready to give my money. I'm ready to... And then we get in the Honda Odyssey minivan, and we're on our way to the Winking Lizard, 
and I scream at the kids, right? I pray, God, I will tell anybody about you. Just give me a no-brainer moment. And I go to the office, and my friend looks at me and says, why do you read your Bible and go to church anyways? And I'm like, um, this is my pastor's sexy. I don't know, right? <laughs> He's chicken out, right? God, I, I want to be used by you. This, ah, everything is yours. Well, there's this big financial need, except my checkbook. I, how, much, how many quarters you got in your pocket? Failures. Failures, failures, failures. And what happens over time is we believe, we start to believe that we're saved by grace and I might get to heaven by the skin of my teeth. Then, additionally... We have an enemy, the Bible tells us about, the devil. And the devil is known as many things, and two of the things he's known as is a liar. In fact, his native tongue is lies, the Bible says. And he's known as an accuser of the brethren, or he accuses Christians. So the devil then involves himself because he hates you, the Bible says. And he looks at you and he says, listen, you might be saved by grace, but you'll never do anything for God because you spend way more time in porn than you do the Bible. I mean, there was a time you might have done something for God, but you got divorced. I mean, you're supposed to do something for God, but don't forget, don't forget you didn't tithe. Well, you, you could have, but you chickened out. Don't forget you were going to, and he will remind and accuse you of all of your humanity and all of your sin to the point that you begin to live a defeated life instead of a victorious life because you look and say, well, I was saved by grace, but I'll never do the things God has called me to do or wants me to do because look at me, I'm a loser. I might get to heaven. It's the way we feel. And what happens so many times is this, ready? Even those who believe that they are saved by grace tend to forget that we are sustained by grace. I don't just get saved by grace, I live by grace. I'm dependent on grace. It's not just the mercy and the love of God that rescues me from hell. It's the mercy and love of God that gets me through every day. In fact, the mercies of God are new every morning in my life. Because I, I have to live this way. I'm not just saved by grace. I'm sustained by grace. So when I look at the apostle Peter, if I am not a follower of Jesus, I need to look at his immediate response to Christ. And if I am a follower of Jesus, I need to look and say, this, the apostle Peter, the guy with the keys of the kingdom, one of the big three, he's got books in the Bible. He's also known as the greatest failure. Because you might struggle with pride and you might struggle with gossip and you might struggle with selfishness, but you didn't deny Jesus when he was on his way to the cross after you said he wouldn't. The biggest wipeout in the Bible. And what does Christ do with him? Now, it's fascinating how the resurrected Jesus begins to interact with Peter. Flip back to the left in your Bible, to so the book of John 21. John 21, Peter, at this point in history, 
at this point in the story, has just denied Jesus a couple of days ago. So he's fresh off of it, right? He's watched him be arrested, pulled the sword, he got in trouble for that. They took him away, right? He denied Jesus three times. That is very much on his heart and on his mind. Watch Jesus be crucified to this point. He just thinks he's dead. He's out. Verse 21, and about afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. This is the story. Peter and the boys, the other disciples were together. And Peter says, verse 3, I'm going out to fish, Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go with you. So they all got, got, went out and got into the boat. It's fascinating. Peter, not five days ago, was saying, I will defend you. Not but a week ago was saying, they'll never take you. I will lay my life down for you. I will never deny you. Yes, you will. No, I won't. Yes, you will. Don't God, don't argue with me. Yes, you will. Few days later has absolutely collapsed, got spiritual loser of the year award. And what does he do? He goes fishing. You know what Peter did? He did this. I give up. What am I supposed to do? I, I mean, he, he, told, he, he, he told us, he discipled us, he sent us out, We've preached, we've done miracles, we've done all this kind of stuff. He, he told me I got the keys of the kingdom. He told me on these truths he would build my church. All of it, he talked directly to me. But I, you know what I am? I am the biggest loser. I choked. I choked for all time. People are going to be talking about this for years. So what's he do? He slips, he doesn't turn his back on God because he's a real follower of Jesus. He doesn't reject God, you know what, I'm just going to worship the devil, right? What's he do? He goes into this holding place of kind of nothingness. Saved by grace, I guess that's enough. I'm going to go fishing. Guys, listen. Listen to me, follower of Jesus. In Christ, we are not called to be spiritual survivors. In Christ, we are not called to get our salvation and then just kind of try to make it through to the end. The Bible says that you are more than a conqueror, that you are an overcomer, that you are a victorious person. But we look at ourselves and say, wait a minute, I'm a spiritual loser. I, I blow it constantly. And then the devil reminds me, you know what you are? You're a loser, you're a loser, you're a loser, you're a loser. I'll just go fishing and hope the rapture happens. It happens all the time. All the time. What happened to Peter? Peter, he's a champ, man. He and the other disciples, they just go fishing. This is fascinating. Jesus shows up, and what you, you see Peter's instinct, his heart for God come out. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was him. 
He called out to them, friends, you have any fish? No. He said, put your nets on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. They got this huge number of fish. Verse 7, then the disciple who Jesus loved, that was John, it wasn't even Peter, it was John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and he jumped into the water. He jumps out of the boat. And he starts swimming to Jesus. And the other disciples followed in a boat, towing the net full of fish. They were not far, about 100 yards offshore. And Peter, he sees Jesus. He's a failure. He's in spiritual survival mode. But he loves the Lord. He's legit. He's not a counterfeit worshiper. He's not who Jude was talking about. He's legit. He has been forgiven. He loves Christ, but he has blown out. He blew a gasket and failed at the critical moment. He's got his tail between his legs, but when Jesus, he wants to be with Jesus. He jumps out of the boat. He's 100 yards offshore. Peter, just be patient, right? They can't stop himself. He runs to Jesus, goes to him. Jesus makes breakfast, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? You love me the most, bud? Is that real in you? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you and feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So he said, take care of my sheep. And a third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, Peter, do you love me? Peter was hurt because the Lord asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus, in essence, says, then love my followers, lead them. He describes to Peter how he's going to lay his life, he's gonna, how he's going to die for Jesus. And then I love the way he follows it up. Look at the end of verse 19. Then he said to him, Peter, follow me. Follow me. Come back. Jesus looking at Peter saying, buddy, listen, you're not just saved by grace, you're sustained by grace. You are a spiritual failure, and I knew that ahead of time. I'm the one who told you you were going to deny me. You are imperfect in your humanity, and I've still entrusted you with a perfect truth. I've entrusted you with the mission and the cause of me, the church. Peter, the plan is to work through you, and in your humanity, that's going to come along for the ride. Peter. And I love you, and I'm going to restore you, and your calling on your life is not to get it all right. Your calling on your life is to know and love and follow me. I'll do the rest. But don't get in the boat, Peter. You're not a fisherman anymore. I've called you to be a fisher of I love the way that Peter himself writes about this idea in 1 Peter chapter 5. He's talking about coming under the leadership of the Lord and suffering and sin and all the mix that is being a follower of Jesus. And he says this in verse 8. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I was talking to the church, talking to the followers of Jesus. This is what he said, verse 9, resist him, right? This is not an excuse for sin. This is not an enabling grace. The apostle Paul says this. 
He says, shall, shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? And then he yells. He says, certainly not. What a dumb idea. We flee from sin. We run from it. We resist the devil. We stand firm in the faith. We, we lock onto the truth and the hope of who Christ is because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. This is, this is a part of the human condition. People who follow Jesus struggle with these things. But look at this, verse 10, I love it. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have, have suffered a little while, will himself restore you make you strong, firm, and steadfast. As a follower of Jesus Christ, as you undergo the trials, the temptations, and the struggle of, the, of this world, as you succeed and as you fail, as you have victory and as you have defeat, the God of grace, the grace that saved you, that grace will sustain you, and that he himself will restore you so that you are steadfast and firm, so that you keep heading down the path that you have been called to go down. Don't believe the lie that because you have sinned, you're done. Don't believe the lie that it's three strikes and you're out. Don't believe the lie that because you have to resist sin or struggle with weaknesses, that God cannot use you. It is the greatest way that the evil one makes the church impotent in its following of Christ. And Jesus says, I knew that the whole time. That's why you don't earn your way to heaven. I knew this the whole time. That's why my grace is sufficient for you in all situations. I know this. It's not a license to sin. It is a liberation to live above your humanity and to embrace and enjoy and connect and receive the grace and the mercy that God extends to you. Because the Bible tells us to encourage one another, and, and this is really what's on my heart this weekend. I, I often can look at myself and all of us and, and understand what it's like to grow weary, to grow weary. Man, how many times am I going to make that? How many times am I going to try? How many times do I have to over? And what happens is weariness turns into a lie. I never believe lies more than when I'm tired. And the evil one knows, and so he'll reinforce that that lie, and he'll look at you and say, you know what, you'll, you'll never do anything for the Lord. You can never share your faith. You can never accomplish anything. You can never be an effective part of the church. You have to leave that to the big shots. Because those big shots, they got their life together, and you don't. So we get this mindset. If, if I was like a missionary, or if I was like Pastor Jeff, then I would do something for God. But I'm not, so my job is to show up and, you know, put a little money in the basket and maybe, you know, help out here and there. And Jesus would look at you and say, no, wait a minute, aren't you my child? This is, I didn't call you to pitch in. I called you to be defined by me, to build the kingdom of God. And we elevate people to places of sainthood where they shouldn't be 
And we say, well, I'm just a sinner. And Peter would say, me too. The only thing holy and righteous about me is what God has accomplished in my life. Because I am not just saved by grace, I'm sustained by it. Guys, you want to meet a guy that has lustful thoughts? Hello, my name is Jeff Bogue. You want to meet a materialistic guy who, who covets your car? I don't know who's driving that new BMW that pulled in earlier, but I want it. It's silver. It's got the rolled back. You're in here somewhere. I watch you come in, right? It's a, I want that. I think Jesus wants you to tithe it today, right? You want to meet a guy that covets, that would rather have that than his eight-year-old Nissan? Hello, my name is Jeff Bogue. You want to meet a guy with false humility that just told you he drives an eight-year-old Nissan? Hello, my name is Jeff Bogue. You want to meet a selfish guy, an arrogant guy, a guy with a short fuse? Heidi doesn't call me Sparky for nothing. Right? I apologize to my kids more than you can imagine. Every time I walk in the door, I'm like, I'm sorry, for what? For, I'm going to yell at you in about 10 minutes. Right? I am the biggest idiot you have ever met. If you don't believe it, just ask around. And yet, somehow, we would say, well, there's something different about Pastor Jeff than me. And Peter would say, you're crazy. He's an idiot, too. And me, too. It's not St. Peter, it's Center Peter. And my failure is the place that the grace and the power and the restorative nature of Christ is most clearly seen. And what is true for me is true for you. Do not believe the lie. Do not believe the lie. Because if Jesus shows up, would you jump in the water to go get him? And if you would, then he would look at you and say, come follow me. Receive my mercy, receive my grace, receive my love. And by the way, the more you love me, the more you'll obey what I command. Quit worrying about what you're doing and start worrying about who you are, and I will change your life. Saved by grace, sustained by grace. The before Peter, he was going to get his act together. The after the apostle Peter, after he interacted with Jesus, realized, I'm the one that denied him. Poster child for failure. Thank you. Thank you, Christ, for saving me, restoring me, empowering me. And that's why we like Peter, because we are that guy. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to see a guy who believed and followed, that's the call God has in your life. If you are a follower of Jesus, you need to see a guy who believed, followed, and failed and was restored and used by God in great ways. And that's the call that God has on your life. I'm gonna ask the band to come out. And as they settle in, guys, would, would you just think about those two paths? Where are you at? And I, want, I just want to encourage you this weekend. It's kind of my goal. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I encourage you to believe in who Christ is.
to accept the forgiveness of your sin, to recognize your need for a Savior, to turn and to lock on to the God of great mercy, love, and forgiveness. If you're a follower of Jesus and you just are out fishing, I encourage you to get out of the boat and get back in the fight. Life send. Welcome to the club. Let's start a group. We'll call it a church. <laughs> Full of sinners, saved by grace, who have a mission and a cause that our God has entrusted us with. Doesn't seem like the most efficient plan to me, but it's his, so I'm going to go with it. Right? And remember that, not as a license, but as a wonderful liberation. So we bring all of that to the cross of Christ. We come completely dependent on who Jesus is. And then we let him do his wonderful, powerful work in us. Right? Just think about it. Pray about it. Give God those freedoms in your life even today.